So, um, this morning, looking at parables, and uh, with parables, um, Jesus himself goes on to explain that it's all about, actually, it's not quite as it seems and there's a hidden meaning. So, um, I was thinking about this a little bit this week uh, in different forms and thinking about riddles and stuff, but that didn't quite sit. And then I had this, this moment where I thought about logos. Who likes a good logo? All right, well, okay, fine. I'll stop now. <laughs> I like logos, I like design stuff. Not that I can do design stuff, but I remember when we uh, were starting RK, and Gaz, where's Gaz? I've seen him, there he is. And he was designing the RK branding, which he did, and he sent me like about 12 things on a piece of paper, and one of them was like a Burger King mock-up, but with RK instead of BK. We didn't go for that one, sadly. Um, but it, like design, it's quite, it's quite an interesting thing. So here's a few little pictures. And in each of these pictures, there's like a hidden meaning, if you like, or an extra that you might not necessarily appreciate. So Amazon, the kind of global logistics company, not only is there a smiley face, but also Amazon deal with everything from A to Z. See that? Don't know if you've seen that before. If you'd seen these before, then fine, whatever. But I thought that's quite, did I make that up? No, I didn't make that up. That's a real thing. That is the Amazon logo right there. A to Z. Um, next one. There's quite a few. Right, this one. I'm a massive F1 fan, okay? And um, it was only about two weeks ago that I realized the hidden thing in this logo. So I had, for those on the podcast, uh, I'm sorry, you're not going to get this. You see this red bit here? I thought that was the one. But it's not. That's just like the, you know, the, the thing going fast. The one's the white bit in between. Clever, isn't it? I thought it was clever. Like a little hidden meaning in the logo. I've got a few more of these because they're quite good. I like them. If they're coming. FedEx. Anyone see the arrow? So FedEx are a logistics company and they deliver stuff. So in the middle of their logo is an arrow. So you get an idea of what they do. Keep them coming now, nice and quick. Baskin Robbins. You might not know who Baskin Robbins are, but they do ice cream. And they have 31 flavours. Hence, you can see 31 in the middle of Baskin-Robbins. Uh, Toblerone. Um, does anybody know the hidden thing in Toblerone? The bear, yeah. So can people see the bear in the mountain on the Matterhorn? So uh, Toblerone was invented in the city of Bern, which is in Switzerland. And um, the bear is like symbolic to do with that city for whatever reason. And so there's a bear. There's the Bronx Zoo. The Bronx is in New York City. I had to explain that to somebody when they were saying I can see the skyscrapers. And I had to explain that's because it's New York City, which is quite a clever design thing. And then I think, last of all, I only saw this yesterday and I had no idea, but there's a cyclist in the Tour de France logo, which I had no idea about. I mean, he's cycling on the sun, but he's cycling anyway. The reason I tell you and show you those logos is actually every single one of those, like within the logo is like this hidden extra thing that tells you a little bit about the logo. It tells you about what they stand for, what they're about. And I think the same is with parables, that actually Jesus is telling these stories and he starts with this famous story. And the whole point is it's not quite as it seems. There's something else going on. So please don't think this is just a story about a farmer in his field. Because that's the same mistake that the massive crowd made. That They're like, oh yeah, Jesus, I get it. There's a dude and he's in a field and he sows some seed and he, he does all that. That's brilliant. I've seen all that. And that's it. I'll go to bed now. I'll have my nap. That's exactly what the crowd does. 
But the purpose is a bit different. So let me read it to you. Matthew 13, 1-9. It's in your Bible. Like the Bible commentators might have put parable of the sower. But I actually prefer parable of the soil. Because it's not really about the sower, but it's about the soil. If you actually look at the story, if you look at what Jesus is driving at. It says this. That same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and sat down. I mean, has that ever happened to you? You've got this message and so many crowds that you have to, you're so like cramped in, you have to get in a boat and, no, just Jesus. Um, so Jesus does that and it's like a natural amphitheater, if you like. He's sat on the boat speaking, so a few hundred meters people can hear him. And the whole crowd has stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables. And he says this, now this is a story, this obviously happened back in Jesus' day, but with parables, don't actually think Jesus is looking and he's going, oh yeah, there's a man. It's a story that he's relating to them so they understand. A sower went out to sow, and as he, uh, as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil. Immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds, they fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus tells this story about sowing with an O not sowing with the S-E-W-I-N-G. That would be a turn up for the books, wouldn't it? Jesus giving a lesson on sowing and knitting. That would be, well, people would love that. But he doesn't. He talks about farming. And he tells it to this crowd that have kind of been pursuing him a little bit. A crowd that are kind of mixed in their approach to Jesus. Mixed in what they think about him. And uh, Jesus, by profession, of course, wasn't a farmer. So, again, this isn't his expertise. This isn't like going to agricultural college for a lesson on how to farm. Do you see how stupid that would be if that was all the story was about? Here's Jesus, a non-farmer, teaching farmers how to farm. Right? So it can't possibly be that, can it? Even though a load of people with a hook, line, and sinker thought he was just talking about that. But he doesn't. And uh, he's talking about farming on the face of it at least. And um, the crowd, as I said before, you get the impression, because you're not told otherwise, that the crowd kind of hear and are nodding along, probably saying, yes, Jesus, I've seen that done. Yes, Jesus, I've been doing that. I've been planting my crop, and some of it's been landing on the path, and some of it's been landing in the soil, and some of it's been a bit weedy. And they're all nodding along, yet you don't read them respond. Like The only people that respond are the disciples who say, hold on, Jesus, what on earth are you talking about? Why are you talking about farming, mate? I'm not here for your farming. I'm here because you're meant to be the son of God. I'm here to hear about God and faith and stuff. And instead you're talking about farming. Yet the crowd seem quite happy with that. Verse 9 says this. He who has ears, let him hear. And I'm pretty sure that 99.9% of the people that were in that crowd had ears. So just in case anybody's confused with that. Jesus is again making the point. It's all about what you're hearing. It's all about, there's this story, but what do you take from it? Not everybody can interpret it how they want kind of stuff, but what are you actually hearing Jesus say? He says this, verse 35, quoting Isaiah, I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So even in in Jesus' own words, he's saying, I will utter things that have been hidden. I will be revealing mystery. I will be telling things through these stories. 
It was never just about a man in a field sowing seed. But it's about God and following him. And thankfully, and I'm thankful for this, imagine if verses 18 to 23 weren't there. Now, 18 to 23 is where the disciples come to Jesus and Jesus says, no, this is what I'm talking about, disciples. Imagine if that wasn't there. We'd be all here this morning saying, Jesus was an amazing farmer. It's all about growing good soil. Well, you don't grow soil. Growing good seed in good soil. Even I know that. But instead, Jesus tells us it's about listening. And so there's a few things I want to rattle through because there seems to be like four responses that the people make or four ways of responding to the words of Jesus. But there's a couple of things I just want to clarify before that. And first thing is the sower. So there is someone who is sowing seed in the story. There is a man or a woman. There is a person who is in this story going around sowing the seed in a field. And that means, you know, walking along, grabbing the stuff off the back, chucking it out into a plowed field, not into a car park, not into your garden, but into a plowed, cultivated field that's been worked on, they've spent time on it, it's ready to go. It's ready for it to grow a crop for that season. And verse 18 talks about anyone who hears the word of the kingdom. So the sower is the one who is sharing the word of the kingdom, and the seed represents the word of the kingdom. So in other words, it's talking about Faith in Jesus and the seeds are that message. Does that make sense? So the sower, therefore, is anybody, you or I, who shares the message of Jesus. That's what this story is about. That actually there should be a bunch of people who are following after God that are sowing seed. That are doing what this guy does in this story. Walking about the metaphorical field, which is the world where we are. And telling people about the life-transforming message of Jesus. Sharing the word, as Matthew puts it. And the message of Jesus coming in our place doesn't change. It's the same message. So if Simon here is sharing it, he's sharing the same message that I'm sharing. Now, we're different people, but we share the same message. To different people in different times at different places, but it's the same message. The message doesn't change. And that message is one that Jesus came rescued us, loved us, that we were far off from God and bridges the gap between God and mankind so that we can have an everlasting relationship with him. That's the good news of the gospel, isn't it? I think that's good news. That's good news, right? That Jesus came and rescued us. And that's why we have communion because it's remembering the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's the message we take. It's that kingdom word. It's not, I had this or I believe that or this moment. It's actually... Let me tell you the story of God. Let me tell you about a God who loves you, who sent his son for you, who's died in your place, who's rescued you, who's given you new life. That's the sower. And that's the message that we share. And that's what Jesus is talking about here in this story. And I want to encourage you because sometimes when you do that, sometimes when you're going along and you're like chucking it out there, you're telling people about Jesus, you're being brave, you're stepping out in faith, it doesn't always go well. But Jesus tells us as much here. And when it doesn't go well, I want to encourage you. It's not you that's the problem. Jesus here says it's all about the heart of the person who's responding. Like, if this message is able to transform lives and people reject that, then that's on them, is what Jesus says here. That you just keep going. You just keep sowing the seed. Some of it is going to fall on rocky places. Some of it is going to fall on good soil. Some of it will fall amongst weeds. Some of it will fall on the path. But you don't stop 
sewing because the point is it's all about the character of the hearer. And actually, I don't know necessarily what goes on in your heart. God does. But I don't know necessarily what's going on in your heart, let alone my own sometimes. And this parable, the soil and the different responses that Jesus is giving here, the, the rocky ground, the path, he's talking about our hearts. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about different ways of you responding to the life-transforming message of Jesus. And every single one of you this morning has the opportunity to respond to what I'm saying. And you will respond in one of these four ways. And just because you don't respond with good soil necessarily is not my fault. Actually, it's yours, is what Jesus says. In the bluntest possible terms, it's about how we respond to the good news of Jesus. And you sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes you feel like your head can be up against a brick wall. Like, I'm not getting anywhere here. This isn't working. Nobody's listening. Everybody hates me. Everyone thinks I'm crazy. It's not you. Don't question the message. It's really important we don't question the message. That actually we keep faithful to the message that God has given us. And actually, I was thinking about this. Do we sow that seed? Do we tell people about Jesus less and be more careful with it because we don't want to get hurt or we don't want to be vulnerable and we don't want to get rejected? Or is the more we tell people about Jesus, according to this passage, the higher probability that somebody will respond? I'm tempted by the latter. Actually, the more people we tell, the more chance there's someone there that's going to respond that's going to land on good soil. Instead of me, like, really carefully going, I'll plant my one seed, why don't I just plant a thousand? Because at least then more than one might come through. Like, and I was thinking about um, this on Thursday with Connect Group, but also since then, the whole time is thinking about life a little bit and what life means when you come to the end of the road and what, what you will have achieved. I had, this, I had this cool experience yesterday where I had a little track day for my birthday and I drove a Ferrari 458 Italia. Oh, my days. It was beautiful. If anyone would like to buy me one, like, please don't hesitate. That would, like, I'll honor you in that. That would be beautiful. It was an amazing car. And I thought, oh, I would love one of these. And like, I would genuinely love one. But then I was like, what am I going to do with it? Can't go over speed bumps. Not going to be very good around Chesterfield. Can't blitz it on the motorway. And I haven't got any money to do track days. Complete waste of time. And actually, I can't take it with me. All right, it might look good. And it did look good. And it might sound good. And it did sound good. And it might drive really well. And it did drive really well. I'm selling this, aren't I? Could be a Ferrari salesman. Andy, do you think? No. All right, mate. No, maybe a job at BMW then. Um, but actually, I was thinking, this doesn't add up to anything. This won't, at the end of my days, when I look back on my life, add any value. doesn't bring anything. It's nothing. It's worthless. And actually thinking, what makes my life count? And I reckon, for me and for you, it's C and C landing good soil. When it talks about treasures in heaven, I don't think I'm going to be laden with a massive gold medallion and like you know I don't think that's the imagery that's being talked about in scripture somehow I can't imagine that really um for me <laughs> I don't think that's the kind of image that's the image we conjure up oh I'll have wealth and I'll have stuff but that's not what treasure is treasure is transform lives treasure is that I've got a transform life but also I might have taken part in somebody else's story and just to encourage you, if you want treasure in heaven, you want to make a difference in this life, tell people about Jesus. Like it's the only thing you can do. Because it's the best thing we can do. 
Here the sower just chucks it out everywhere. So what if some of it lands on the path? Some of it will land on the good soil. We've got to keep going even when it's hard. Even when it's hard. We've got to take steps of faith. And when we do, I know that God meets us there. There's this guy, I won't tell you his name, but when I was teaching uh, down in Bath for a couple of years, and there was this one guy who, I was the assistant chaplain at the school, so I'd talk about God and things. And uh, there was this, and helped with the CU. And there was this one guy who came along to the CU, or was at chapel sometimes, I think just to heckle me. Just to make my life difficult. And he was the one I was talking to Connect Group about this. And I said, oh, people have accused me of worshipping the jelly monster and the sky fairy. And they were like, what? Never heard anybody call it that before. Well, this kid did. He was like, you and your jelly monster, you and your pie in the sky, and it's all made up. And I'd be talking to him about Jesus and talking him to about Jesus, and he'd make my life a misery. And he was only like 17, but he was annoying really annoying. You don't, I don't know if you remember him. It's probably a good thing. It's a blessing in disguise. But then I, I recall, like, two or three years later, this is just through, like, a series of events, I found out that this guy um, was going to, like, Soul Survivor, and he was going to Spring Harvest, and he was going to these Christian events, and I'm like, why is he doing that? Is he going to heckle international speakers now? Is he going to make Mike Pilavachi's life a misery? Is that why he's going there? Well, it turns out he'd, he'd put his trust in Jesus. And he'd gone from like angry, I hate the sky fairy, to I've got a relationship with God. And you're like, sometimes you feel like when you're sowing seed or you're telling people about Jesus, you are banging your head against a brick wall. But you know what? You never know what God's doing in someone's life. We should never give up because if we give up telling people about Jesus, how are people going to hear about him? How's that going to hear about him? If I'd stopped and gone, you know what, mate? I won't say another word about Jesus to you ever again. It's like shutting down hope for someone, isn't it? Shutting down the opportunity to have their life transformed. So keep going. If you find it difficult at work, if maybe you're at work and nobody knows you're a Christian, I challenge you this week, step out of the boat. Don't arrive on Monday morning and go, I am a new creation. I am a Christian. Hello. Questions, please. Oh, so I just don't think that's going to go so well for you. But maybe it might be that you just have conversations and start saying, actually, I've got a bit of hope here. Actually, let me tell you about someone that brings me hope. Let me tell you about the guy that I know that brings peace to my life. Or, I used to be like you, but now I've met Jesus. And so on and so forth. It's like tonight at the baptisms, you are going to hear testimonies of people saying, this was my life before. I've met Jesus. This is what life is like now. I've been changed. I've met God and it's the best thing I've ever done to decide to follow after him. The best decision I ever made to follow Jesus. Anyway, that's all a bit of a preamble. Yep, that's okay. Um, to actually get into the main point of the parable. So if your Bible is open, Jesus explains it in the second bit with four kind of categories of people. But I want to ask the question for you to consider, and only you can consider this. I can't consider it for you, and you can't consider it for the person next to you, is where is your heart at before God? Your heart. Not anybody else's. Don't worry about that heart. Worry about your own. Where are you with God right now? If you're having to respond to this this morning, where are we at? And just to say, as you're thinking about that, that this field that's being talked about has been cultivated, it's been plowed. Sometimes we have to do some preliminary work 
in order to actually, if we want to sow the seed and we, we want to kind of increase the chances, if you like, there's some preliminary work to be done, which I think is why it's really help, helpful that we have relationships with people and get to know people and talk to them and uh, journey with them over time through the ups and downs and they can see that in your life. I think that's our preliminary work, actually, is that sometimes it works going in cold and just to say, yeah, I've met Jesus and you meet them for the first time, like on the streets and whatever else. Sometimes that works. But more often than not, most people come through or come to faith through a friend or relationship that they have with someone. Why? Because they see their life. So almost that's what the field is like, if you like. You're investing, you're spending time with people because you love them. Because you want what's best for them. And that's, I think, about creating good soil, if you like. But sometimes in that relationship, we can wait forever to sow that seed, can't we? We can think, is now the right time? Have I done enough work here? Have I spent enough time with this person? I think the answer to that is just go for it and let God deal with the detail. Sometimes we can put off and put off and put off saying something because we're scared of how it's going to go. Let God deal with the detail. We've just got to be faithful in sharing our faith in Jesus with others. And we're given four categories, the path, the highway, which is one, the rocky ground, the weed and the thorns, and then the good soil that produces a crop. So I think we just need to briefly, and it will be brief, look at these four things and just see what Jesus is trying to say. And I really believe it will be helpful for us to identify our own hearts this morning. Because it is possible to respond and actually our hearts be changed in this moment. If we find ourselves and we feel like my heart is like the rocky path, the, the downtrodden path, that you don't have to stay in that place. That's the good news of Jesus. We don't have to stay where we once were. So first of all, the path. The first heart that's described is one where seeds land on a path through a field. And what you would have in those days, at least, I bet this was wind-up farmers today, is you'd have your crop and your farm and your field, and people would just like career through the middle of it. And what would happen is bunches of people would walk together. And then after a while, it would create like a bit where like, you know, there's nothing living anymore. The ground becomes really hard. It's trodden in. And it can be slap bang in the middle of the field. Yes, it can be on the edges, but it can be straight through the middle as well. It's like, why go around the field when you can go through it? Right? Why go around the farmer's field with cows and bulls in it when you can go right through the middle? Here, it's right through the middle of the crop. And so obviously there's like a well-worn path. And if you approached a field today and you saw a beautiful crop everywhere, but you saw this gap straight down the middle, where would you walk? Do you think you'd walk right through the middle of the corn as it's growing? You wouldn't, would it, if you're wearing shorts? It's, you know, it's not going to go well. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt your ankles. But if you walk on the path, actually it becomes more trodden and more firm and just so on and so forth. And that's what would happen. And as the sower goes out, he's going through his whole field and he's just chucking it. So some of it will land in places that are okay, but some of it will land on this hard path. And C.H. Spurgeon, famous theologian, says this, that like the snow which sometimes falls upon our streets, occasionally, drops upon the wet pavement, melts, and is gone at once, so it is with this man or woman. You hear the good news. You may be sat here this morning, but just as soon as it's left my lips and entered your ears, it's gone. Thinking about your chicken, or your beef, or your Yorkshires, or whatever. Your brain is elsewhere. All of a sudden, it's gone, like the snow melting on the path. It's disappeared. The great message of salvation, the hope in Jesus, shines on your face, but you don't do anything with it. You might sit here this morning and go, oh, I don't know, 
A bit like those vultures in the Jungle Book. Aren't they? I don't know what I want to do. I'll just sit here instead. I won't actually do anything. We can be a little bit like that, can't we? And the road of our heart can be such a crowded affair. It can become, because of what goes on in life, we can be putting up barriers. Therefore, it can become a bit hard that we don't want to let people in. Maybe we don't want to take a chance that this might all be true in case we get hurt or in case we get it wrong or in case other people think we're mad. Whatever it might be. And so it falls upon the rocky, hard path. And actually, Jesus goes on to explain that there's birds there as well. And the birds are like Satan. If you ever needed a theology of pigeons being evil, Matthew 13, absolutely fine. And the birds like, straight in there, I'll have some of that. The seed is no longer. It's been taken. It's not in the moment that it was in any more. So because the enemy, what he likes to do, he wants nothing more. We know this. We have an enemy, right? And it's not another human being, but it's Satan and his little minions, demons, not the yellow people. And they, and they want nothing more than to keep you in darkness. Nothing more for you to carry on as it was. But Jesus brings light. Jesus brings life. And actually, life is it's always supposed to be. I love that in John 10.10 10 it says that. That God wants us to have life and life to the full. Like almost we were created to have life and life to the full. And that means to follow God. And somehow we shortchange that. And sometimes our hearts can be really hard towards the things of God. Because we're hurt. Because we don't want to be vulnerable. And so we just kind of put up our shutters and we suppress the truth. I loads of people are just like, I don't want to talk about Jesus. I don't want to talk about God. I, I, I just can't deal with that right now. Our hearts are heart towards the things of God. The second one is the rock. Uh, and uh, in the field, once it's cultivated and planted, it looked beautiful on the surface. And, it, you know, if you're a keen guy, I love gardening. Um, really enjoy doing it. But sometimes digging out, particularly like plants, but like tree stumps and stuff, is like really hard work, isn't it, Colin? Really hard work, like... That's why I use machines. But if you didn't have a machine and you just had muscles like mine, it's going to take an awfully long time to dig out a tree or a rock or stuff that's hidden underneath the surface. And that's the kind of picture here that Jesus is saying. It looks great on the surface. It looks like it's a good place for seed to fall, but underneath is a rock. And so as the seed kind of does its thing and sets down its roots, it only gets so far before it hits trouble, before effectively it hits that same road. It hits something where it can't go any further. It can't be rooted. It's not secure. And he says this, as for one was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word. So this is a heart that hears about Jesus and immediately receives it with joy. I want some more of that, by the way, in my life. And I want that in your life, more joy, right? That's a good place to say amen, I think, that we would have more of the joy of the Lord in our hearts, but not an immediate joy. A long-lasting joy. Something that the world can't take away or steal. Fulfillment that stuff going wrong in life cannot take away from me because I've met with God. Receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. Endures for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arise, get this bit, on account of the word, immediately they fall away. That's really important that it says that. It's on account of the word. It's not just that life gets too hectic or too busy. It's they get a hard time for following Jesus. And they think, I'm having none of this. I'm out. I don't want people thinking that of me. 
I don't want people questioning whether I believe in the Sky Fairy or the Jelly Monster, or whatever it might be, whatever you've heard. Maybe you've not heard of those ones. Quite original, aren't they? But I'm sure you will have heard people say, what a load of baloney. What a load of rubbish that is. And so we think, oh, hold on, I don't want to, I've been on this high, God, and all of a sudden it's hurting and it's costly. I didn't sign up for this. And so you accept it with joy, but it becomes too hard for you. And you fall away. And I've said this before, but I think this is something that's going to stay with me forever now, is when Nicky Gumbel says this, yes, it costs you to follow Jesus. It does cost you because you're going the opposite way and you're living with an opposite spirit. But it costs you more not to. That it will cost you more not to follow Jesus. When it push comes to shove and eternal life is on the line, it will cost us more. It's therefore all about us digging down and being rooted in Jesus. The message of Jesus, my friends, is not a life improvement scheme. It's not. I know that's popular today. It's not one of them. It's a new life scheme. There's a big difference. It's out with the old, forget that, in with the new. The new me. Not because of anything that I've done, but because God loves me and has given me a chance. And that's what baptism is about tonight. Baptism is about saying, I'm out with the old and I'm in with the new. That I'm going to stand up and whether the flack comes my way, whether I take hits or not, I'm going to take a stand for Jesus. That's what tonight is about. That's why we come along. That's why we cheer loudly. That's why we encourage everyone that's taking a stand for Jesus. It's a big deal. But it's also a God-honoring deal. We want to please God. We do what God says. What does God say? He says, get baptized. So I'm delighted that there are people that are going to be baptized tonight. Because it's just evidence that they're, not, that they're wanting to grow in their relationship with Jesus. They're wanting to persevere through difficult moments. It's about a new you, not an improved you. Thirdly, there's the weed thorns. And uh, if you do like gardening, I know some of you don't like gardening. And this is the reason you don't like gardening. Weeds. Am I right? Maybe you just don't like it. But like, if your garden could look beautiful and you didn't need to do any work on it, you'd love it, wouldn't you? Right? I'm hoping... I mean, that's why people buy artificial turf, isn't it? One, so they don't have to mow it, but two, so it looks good from far away until you sit on it. And then it's prickly and not very comfy. But like from a distance, it looks ace. And that's what matters for some people with gardening. Some people dislike gardening so much that they pave over their grass. And that's okay. But even then, you're still going to get weeds, aren't you? You still get stuff coming up through the cracks. You still get problems arising. If it was our beautiful plants growing beautifully all the time, it would be a different matter, but that's not the world we live in. The weeds seem to thrive, and the pretty plants don't seem to. They seem to have a harder time without a little bit of help, without a little bit of care, without a little bit of attention. If I was to leave my garden, it would just be a weed garden. Like, I mean weeds, as in. It would, like, it would just be full of dandelions and stuff, and it would just look messy. Now, some people like that, and they go for the wild look, and that's okay. That's fine, but I don't like that. I would like it if there wasn't a weed in my entire garden, and there wasn't a slug in my entire garden, because they just destroy stuff, and it just wrecks the garden and wrecks your lawn and whatever else. Um, And the point is this, weeds seem to grow better than plants. If I have a nice patch of soil, I can guarantee you weeds will spring up. 
don't matter what I do, weeds will spring up. Right? Colin, you're the expert. Am I right? Good man. Don't know what I would have done if you'd said no. <laughs> but I get a bit tired of like knocking weeds back and then them regrowing. And you know, like with stuff like dandelions, you can lop the head off. It's like, oh, I'll take that off. But the root's still there, and he's just going to grow back, and he's just going to be uglier and worse than he was before. And he just destroys everything in that place. Nothing good grows. The weeds outgrow the good stuff. This is what Jesus says. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, that's interesting, deceitfulness of riches. Jesus doesn't often have good things to say about money. Choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Faith, competing with other stuff in the heart of your life, following Jesus, competing with the riches of this world, doesn't work. It's like you're having a garden and you've just got a bunch of weeds that you do nothing about. That's what Jesus says here. And some of us are like that. That actually right now in this moment, we're more concerned about the riches of the world and massing wealth and massing stuff and massing reputation. We're on the kind of, you know, power, sex, money drive. And that's our life. And we try and follow Jesus. But I tell you, it just doesn't work. Because it's like the weeds are competing with the good stuff. And it crowds out and it chokes your faith. And we don't get anywhere. Jesus said, didn't he? That it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now some people say the eye of the needle was the entrance to um, like a city and the city gate. And I'm fine with that if you want to go with that illustration. Because the camel would have been laden up with stuff and it would have been difficult. But what if... What if Jesus meant literally a two-humped camel going through the eye of a needle? Which is what I actually believe he's talking about. That it's easier for a camel to go through that than a rich man to get into heaven. Why? Because the riches of this world and all this stuff chokes out our faith in God. We get so caught up in this stuff. And it's not always bad. Driving a 458 was beautiful. It was a great experience. Don't get me wrong and I'd do it again in a heartbeat. But it can't become my life. It can't become everything. Because it will just choke out my faith in Jesus. That's why we talk about being countercultural. That's why we talk about having an opposite spirit. That's why Jesus labored the Beatitudes. Be peacemakers instead. Be full of mercy instead. Look different. And that's why what we do with our money is important. That's why being generous is important. That's why tithing is important because it's telling God, you're the boss, not money. It's a practical way of us saying, money is not what's ruling my life, but I want God to rule it. The bottom line of faith is this, I believe, is I don't want poverty, I don't want riches, I just want Jesus. That's the point we have to come to. I just want him. And that's where we navigate. And when we say that in our hearts, when we desire that and we, our life follows that, I think that's when we can move from the kind of thorny ground into the good soil. Because I want to tell you this, the soil where the weed grows is still good soil. It doesn't say it's bad soil. The, the path is bad soil. The one with the rock underneath is bad soil. But the weedy ground is good soil. It's a good place for stuff to grow. It's just sometimes we can get so caught up in other things that nothing does. Maybe that's you this morning. 
What are your cares? What are your worries? What do you think of all the time? What do you spend your money on most of all? What are the weeds and thorns in your life? And what are you going to do about them? That's the challenge of the parable of the sower. And finally, you get good soil. Jesus says this in 23. For what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and he understands it. So I think that means hears the word, goes in here and makes its way to here. Doesn't stay as head knowledge. Doesn't stay as theory. There, there's a God. I believe in a God and that's great. But it, it comes to here. It makes a difference in my inner being. It changes who I am. He indeed bears fruit, and we'll talk about that in a minute, and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. They are like miraculous yields, by the way, that Jesus is t- talking about there. Like, I was reading in like, one of the commentaries that a farmer would be really pleased with like a 7.5 times yield. That would be a good year. Jesus here is saying 160, 30. He's like... This is a good yield. That's what it means to follow God. Is it doesn't do things by half. Completely changes you. Blows you out of the water. Will change your life completely. And here Jesus says, there's good soil. You look really like, not excited about that. I'm really excited about that. The fact that actually there is somewhere good to land. For me, there had to be good soil at some point. Right? There had to be a moment. And that's because of God. It's not because I've produced this life that's good. Anyone who knows me that knows that's not true. But that God has done an amazing thing in my life and produced, I pray, hopefully in the future, huge or now continual amounts of fruit. That there'll be stuff that is produced. John 15 says, Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends, which is what Jesus does. And then he says, You are my friends. If you do this, and if you do what I command, I no longer call you servants, because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit. You've been brought into this relationship with God for a reason. Not for kicks, not for fun and games, although that's part of it. It's good to enjoy God and enjoy life. Come on. But more than that, to bear fruit, fruit that will last, Jesus says, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love one another. You see, the whole parable, the whole story has been about hearing what we do with that and then producing something. Now, you could argue from a couple of points about what's produced. What is this fruit that's being talked about here? And I truly believe it's what I talked about earlier when I was saying, actually, what are treasures in heaven? It's transformed lives. What is fruit? I think it's people that turn around and start following Jesus. How can I be someone that helps sow good seed that produces lasting fruit? And I think it's doing my bit of telling people about Jesus because God does the rest. This conversation with you, Andy, now a few weeks ago, I'm not going to ruin your testimony, but I wanted to share this because it, it, it humbled me. It was like a punch in my chops, which was great. I need that sometimes. And uh, Anna, you don't mind me saying this, do you? You're a little teary. Yeah, Yeah, good. A little teary after church. So I went over to speak to her. And uh, I said to her, oh, was it? I'd just preached. So I was like, was it something I said in the sermon that just really spoke to you? Was it, you know, a word from the Lord? I was like, you know, through me. She's like, no, it was absolutely nothing that you said. I was like, oh, thanks. 
or, or it, 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 was, it, was, it was God breaking in as opposed to the way that I had communicated it. Or obviously, I was faithful in sowing the seed, but it was all about actually what God was doing. That God was doing something in her heart, and she's going to be baptized later, which is amazing. And there'll be fruit that comes from that. Transform life. There's peace where there wasn't peace. There's God's grace where there wasn't God's grace. There's love where there wasn't God's love. All sorts of things. Now, who's that down to? It's down to God. It's down to him who's done the miraculous work. And him who will continue to do. So keep going. Keep telling people. Keep throwing it out there. Because it will come good. Because it's about God. And it's for God. And it's through God. If it was about us, then it's going to fail miserably. But it's not. It's about him and it's his message. And so if there's one thing I want to leave you with, and we're going to, we're going to have communion uh, as a way of responding, I think, as well, is to ask this question of you. And only you can answer this. And I'm going to answer it for you. Is where are you at now? If I said there's a story, I've just done what the sower does in the story, if you like, and I've shared the good news. Where's it going to land is the question. And only you can answer that. And here's some hope for you guys. If you're feeling a bit rocky or you're feeling full of thorns, by turning around and putting our trust in Jesus today, we're good soil. We know that, right? I think we can move from one to the other. Because you know what? Once I was the hard path. Once I was in school, like, stuff it. I don't care about God. I'd turn up on a Sunday, do my thing, go home. And then once I was maybe rocky ground, where it looked good on the surface, but underneath it was all a bit shallow. First time a trouble came, oh, I'm not a Christian. Don't know who you're talking about. Must be my twin brother. Never heard of him. Or maybe once I was kind of the weeds. I got a bit intoxicated by a Ferrari 458. Got drawn in. Well, seriously, maybe not that, but... Like times where actually I was like, the pleasure of this world, the stuff that I want, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to see the world, I want to travel, I want my own yacht, that'd be beautiful, whatever. And I've become completely obsessed with that. For me, actually, it was football. It wasn't any of those things. I just wanted to play football all the time. I wanted to be a professional footballer. I love football more than I love God. Honestly, I did. And I was baptized and I was following Jesus. But I love football more. Cares of this world were choking out my relationship with God. But you know what? And this isn't credit to me in any way, shape, or form, because it's not. But God did something in my heart, and I had the opportunity to respond, and that's all I did. I said, yes, I'll go in all in, God, and I'll follow you. And God worked out the detail, and will continue to work out the detail, because I guarantee there will be moments in my journey to come where I mess up and I get things wrong, and it can feel a bit thorny. It can maybe feel a bit weedy. And those weeds will need digging up again. And that's why church is so good. Be a bit painful sometimes, but why church is so good? Because we can encourage one another on this journey. That is hard. We can help one another on this journey that sometimes we get it wrong. But God's grace is greater. God's love is stronger. And actually those weeds can be dug out and we can continue to produce fruit. Who wants to produce fruit? Who wants to make a difference in people's lives? I do. We should all want that. And this passage tells us we can. No matter where we are, if we feel a million miles from where we're supposed to be, God can break in and do amazing things. If we would just let him. If we would just say, okay, God, okay, I'll follow. 
after you. So where are you at and what are you going to do about it? Are you going to hear this story and follow him? Are you going to ask the question like the disciples? Tell me more about this Jesus. Or are we just going to say, what a lovely story about a farmer in the field?